some people weighing in on Barker's question about the team MVP. Yeah. Which we'll get to in Barker's back leg bits. John Schneider joins us at 1130. We do the trivia now before uh, Kenny Rosenthal joins us? Do it. Let's do the trivia question now before Ken Rosenthal joins us. Is it easy? Uh, Hard. It's a good one. Hmm. Uh, we're giving you the chance to win Jay's tickets all season long here in Blair and Barker, of course. Whether you listen on the radio or on our podcast, all you have to do is text the correct answer to our daily baseball trivia question to 595. That's all you have to do. 59590. Just text the correct answer. Friday, we asked you. Well, I mean, it's got to be correct. <laughs> what? Yeah, text the correct answer. That's what I said. I know. <laughs> Jesus. Well, you said that to you. Who is the only raised pitcher? Who's the only raised pitcher to win over 20 games in a season? The answer is Blake Snell, who won 21 in 2018. Today's question is to win tickets to see the Rays and Jays down at the Rogers Center on Thursday, September 15th. And uh, as always, you can text the answer to 59590 for your shot to win. See rules at sportsnet.ca slash 590. In the Rays 2020 AL wildcard series sweep of the Jays, who led the Rays in hits, runs, and OPS? Again, in the 2020 AL wildcard series sweep of the Rays, of the Jays, who led the Rays in hits, runs, and OPS? Send your correct answer to 59590. You could be off to see the Jays and Rays at the Rogers Center September 15th. I didn't get this the first time. I got it with my second, second answer. Sure you did. I did. Got it with the second answer. Uh. First one, I went out on a limb. Let's bring in Ken Rosenthal, senior writer with the Athletic Field Reporter for the MLB, or for MLB, because I hate it when people say the MLB. Field Reporter for MLB on Fox. Ken, thanks so much for joining Barker and myself today. A um, lot to get to. Your piece on Bo Bichette, your, your latest piece on Bo Bichette. Uh, what did you learn about Bo Bichette? writing that piece because you know we we pay a lot of attention to Bo we see him a lot obviously in Toronto we had him on our show last week and it was kind of was kind of a different Bo than mm-hmm. than we've seen in the past and in a good way I thought what was your sense of him well before I wrote it Jeff you can relate to this I asked somebody who was around the Blue Jays about Bo, and he said, listen, this guy's really hard on himself. And that's kind of what's going on this year. He set expectations that were very high for himself and was really not happy from spring training on. He was just feeling it. So I went into it with that knowledge, and then I asked some people with the team about that, Springer and Whit Merrifield and, of course, Bo himself and John Schneider, and they all spoke about that and spoke about Bo's personality. Now, what I was not aware of at the time was, I guess there is a feeling, Jeff, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, in Toronto that maybe he doesn't care. Maybe he's a guy who's just going up there. He's got the flowing hair. He's swinging all the time. And actually, the opposite is true. And rarely do you see any player, and Jeff, you know this from covering it too, these guys care. Now, how they show it and how it manifests itself, that's all different because they're different people. But a notion that this player is just out there winging it, that's probably a far-fetched notion. So that was what I went into it thinking about writing. As long as everybody told me that was true, I didn't know if it was true or not. I'm not around the team as much as others. And, yeah, he spoke about that. And he spoke about how, 
he is a perfectionist and how he kind of let go of that. Maybe I would say about a month ago now. It was three weeks at the time I interviewed him. That was about a week ago. So it seems like, obviously, he's hot now. And if that's what he believes helped him, then that's great. And I, I know there's been some other things, too. Shai Davidi wrote about how he's done some things different with his practice, mm-hmm. practicing at a more intense level when he's swinging and all of that. There's a lot that goes into it. But what I like to do from time to time is show people a different side if I can. Right. And it seems like this was a different side. I guess I did not know, again, the perception of him really at all. But I thought this was interesting, and I guess it went somewhat counter to the perception, at least from the comments I got on the article from some people at Toronto. It's, you know, it's, it's strange because people who get, you know, those of us who get to the ballpark early get to see Bo and Bo do his early work. You know, every day he's out there working with Luis Rivera and Santiago Espinal. Mm-hmm. Every day he's out there defensively without fail. And it, it's always mentioned on the telecast. It's always mentioned on the broadcast. And part of me thinks that maybe fans hear that and they accept it, but then the fans next, the logical leap is, okay, that's great that he's doing all this before the game. That's wonderful. Why isn't it translating in the game? And I think that's the thing with Bo that really perplexes people. And, you know, you were talking, I was thinking of a guy I covered, Tim Wallach. Tim Wallach was sleepy-eyed. Tim Wallach had the hat back. Tim Wallach, people in Montreal were convinced that Tim Wallach didn't care because he could be a little slow at times. And, you know, and he talked to anybody who's covered Tim Wallach. The guy cared a lot. The guy played hurt. Vernon Wells had the same thing here. And I always tell people, Ken, Vernon Wells played hurt more than just about any player I've covered. So there is a danger, isn't there, in sort of taking preconceived notions, what we expect of a ball player, then seeing this guy on the field, not quite living up to it, putting two and two together and saying he doesn't care. Yes. And I don't want this to come off wrong, and I don't want to be too hard on fans. But in the social media age especially, Everyone is an expert. They're an expert not only on what every player should be doing, they're an expert on what all of us should be doing, and everybody's got something to say. And the fact of the matter is, even those of us who cover the sport don't always have a full insight into what is going on. Bullpen management's a good example. We don't know which relievers are always available, which ones are feeling banged up, what the manager has and doesn't have for a particular game. So... That is incumbent on us at times as media members to kind of relate what is going on and hopefully inform and entertain people and explain what is going on because this is a complex game and it's played by human beings who are going through a six-month grind of a season. It's a very unusual sport in that respect. They don't play once a week Mm -hmm. like the NFL. They play every day just about, almost every day. And it is uniquely difficult from a mental perspective it is uniquely difficult from a physical perspective i'm not saying it's american football or anything like that but it's difficult so that's what people need to kind of understand in my opinion and again it's our job to help them or help fans see that side but fans also have to be open to hearing other opinions and not just their own ken do you think he wants to be a leader of the blue jays Yes. You do. And there are guys who lead 
Kevin, in different ways. Sure. And some are vocal about it. Some are more of an example. More than anything, it seems to me he wants to be a great player. Mm-hmm. And with being a great player comes that leadership. And I am sure in his mind, well, I can't say I'm sure. I, it, I would suspect that that is part of it. I don't know that that's forefront in his head. He's still a young guy. But at the same time, great players generally understand their responsibilities. And very few of them just shrink into a corner. Now, he might not be the most vocal. He might turn into a vocal leader. I've seen players, as Jeff has too, evolve over time and become more vocal or less. It, it depends. So I would expect that, yes, he would want that to be part of his role. Ken, do you think a great month from Bo would change the organization's mind about him as a player? far as I know, the organization's pretty high on him as a player. Sure, like a shortstop, an everyday shortstop, a middle-of-the-order bat, like a aircraft mm -hmm, carrier, mm -hmm. that kind of player. Okay, I I do see, I do hear from them, or expect from them, that they believe he is that guy. Okay. John Schneider said he's an extremely talented guy and one of the great competitors he's known, so they do see him that way. Now, I know it's shortstop. His play is inconsistent, and he doesn't rate very highly at all. And maybe in time, that won't be his position, but he does work at it. And I remember when I was talking to Springer in Baltimore last week, Springer was saying, and this was the day after the doubleheader, he said, you watch, he'll be out there taking ground balls today. And to Springer, that was impressive because Bo had played both ends of the doubleheader, and that's a lot of time on the field. But he does work at it, and Maybe he'll never be one of these players who makes two errors a year as opposed to 15 or 20. But he will also get to balls that others don't. Do you want more consistency? Absolutely you do. And that's something that over time will either develop or it won't. Ken, uh, one of the, the things that we've been kind of following with Bo this year is uh, his, his contract. He, uh, the Jays renewed him last this this winter. They also renewed Alec Manoa. Um, Bo is, unlike Vladdy, Bo has been not entirely reluctant to talk about his, his, his contractual status in terms of saying, well, we had some talks or we haven't had some talks. Is it, I mean, at, at this stage in his career and, and at this stage in Vladdy's career, now Vladdy's, what, three years away from free agency after this. Bo is, I think, four years away. But let's... Is it almost getting to the point where it's going to be hard for the Blue Jays to sign these guys to a to one of those big long-term contracts? Are we almost at the point now where y- y- you're talking about something that may not necessarily be able to gobble up that first year of free agency? I don't know, Jeff. Each player in this case is different too. And with these two guys, they are both, pretty prominent, more prominent than most of the players who signed those long deals. Now, Julio Rodriguez obviously is prominent, and he just signed one mm-hmm. of the biggest ones. But these two have played a few years now. They've played at a high level. So I don't know that they would want to do that so quickly. And players can look at this two ways. From, let's say, Julio Rodriguez's perspective, and he got 200 12 million guaranteed, I believe it was, and the chance to grow that to 350 or more. If the Jays presented that kind of deal to Bichette or Guerrero, I would expect that they would at least be tempted. 
Mm-hmm. I know these deals the union sometimes looks down on, agents look down on, and I get it because the way to really maximize your earnings is through free agency and going out on the open market. But, Jeff, if someone put $212 million in front of me or you, I have to say we'd be tempted. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you start there, but I don't know that the Jays even see them like that. I would expect right. to see Vladdy like that. Maybe not, Bo. Right. So. If they want to do something along those lines, the number is going to have to be big. And it would be bigger for these guys than it would be for even Rodriguez because Rodriguez is starting from a place of much less service time. Mm-hmm. You're talking about Bo and Vladdy's arb years and then free agency. Right. So if you're talking about a big, long deal, well, it's going to be in the hundreds of millions. Uh, no shift, uh, the pitch clock, the bigger bases. Do players like that, you think, Ken? They seem to be mixed, as you would expect, when you have 750 or 800 people. They're not always going to agree on everything. I don't know that they're opposed, per se. They did not like the way this was handled, but we could all see it coming from a mile away when NLB has more people on the committee than the players do, and that was by design through the collective bargaining agreement. It's something the players agreed to. You're not going to get a full hearing of your grievances, so to speak. Not that they were grievances, but their desires. The NLB people heard them, but they didn't really act on them. So the players did not like that. But overall, I do believe players like the idea of the shift going away. And it varies from individual to individual. As for the clock, the ones who have been in the minor league, they've experienced it already in recent years, and they seem to be fine with it. I'm sure it will be an adjustment for some of the older players, the pitchers in particular, who are slower in their deliveries. The, uh, I, I wonder, too, Ken, this is something Barker mentioned to me, <clears throat> pardon me, Friday when we were talking about this, because I, I was kind of surprised that, uh, and I admit I wasn't following it that closely, but I was sort of surprised that initially there was the, the player reaction seemed to be pretty negative. And Barker made the point that he thought, one, most of it was focused on the pitch clock mm-hmm. <clears throat> as opposed to the shift. And two, that this is yeah. kind of lingering from, from the negotiations this winter. That the players, yeah. I mean, it doesn't, they don't want to be dictated to. Rob Manfred could tell them that Absolutely. Tuesday is going to follow Monday this week. <laughs> and the players would say, no. That's not the case. Wednesday's following Monday this week because we aren't going to. I, and I think there is an element of that at work here, isn't there? No question. And in fairness to NLD, in the prior collective bargaining agreement, Rob Manfred had the right with a year's notice to unilaterally implement rule changes. So really, in that sense, nothing has changed. They can still do it unilaterally for the most part but with an abbreviated timetable. So the power dynamic has not shifted. But when you create this committee, as MLB did, and you put six management members on it and four players on it, and you say we're going to listen to the players, we're going to take their input, and then you take their input and essentially do what you want, that, in my opinion, is not a way to go about building a better relationship. And that is what has defined this relationship there's a lot of lip service to building that relationship. And, oh, we're going to have a union now that we can deal with and we're going to try really hard and Rob Manfred's going around team to team meeting with players. 
When the rubber meets the road, it's the same. It's always hardball. And mm-hmm. if baseball wants truly a more cohesive relationship with the players and the union, then when this kind of situation surfaces, when you create this committee and you say you're going to listen to player input, then you really have to listen to it and act on it. Now, baseball would argue, and not unfairly, that the players have so many divergent interests and they're so divided on different things, pitchers, hitters, young players, older players, that it's impossible to get consensus. There is something to that as well. Last question before you let you run. The uh, we keeping an eye on what what's going on in the in the American League Central. I'm I'm kind of fascinated by what's happening with the White Sox right now. Um, you know, didn't uh, just couldn't come up with a four game sweep, but I mean the Central's there for the taking. Ken, what do they do about uh, Tony Larusa? I I mean I can't put this any more tactfully. They've been a better team without Tony LaRusa managing him for whatever the reason. Whatever the reason, they've been a better team. There's no question about that, Jeff. And I don't know what they do. And it's really interesting. He said yesterday that it's uncertain whether he'll return. It's up to his doctors. Now, what is going on behind the scenes? I don't know. But I can imagine, or I would imagine, this is speculation, this is not knowledge, that it involves more than Tony's doctors. That yeah. the people who are running the team understand that the team is playing better, that you can't simply attribute it to the change. But at the same time, they've got a division to win here. And let's go. So it's going to be an interesting few weeks. Let's put it that way. Kenny, we're going to let you scoot. Appreciate your time as always, my friend. Thanks for this. Thanks, Ken. Thanks, Jeff. Take care, Kev. Bye. Ken Rosenthal, senior writer with the Athletic Field Reporter at the MLB and Fox. What would you do? If you're the White Sox. Now, whatever we may say about Tony Larissa, this guy's Hall of Famer. So it's a, it's, that's hard to answer. I, I think you have to be behind closed doors with him to answer that question. But there's no doubt they're playing better. Why, why are they playing better? Are they healthier? Uh, are they performing better? The, how much did that have to do with the manager? They are. They, they are. like Tony? That's the question you got to ask the players. I, I mean, if you're running the team, I know you don't always want to ask – the players. Yeah. But, man, it'd be nice to go down and get a feel of the room, wouldn't it? I on, mean, on what you think going into the next season. Because it is about winning. And and you do you do play in the American League Central. You are a game under 500, and I think they're four and a half out of winning, of, of being tied with the Guardians in that division. Yeah. I mean, it's you, you to say you don't have to play great to win that division is an understatement. So, I think with all those things being said, you have to do everything in your power to make sure that Tony would be the right guy. How's yeah, that? yeah, and Miguel Cairo is doing. He, he's he's a well thought of guy. He's a guy who uh, is t- the act. The bench coach is the acting manager. He's a guy who's been prepping for this for a while, going back to his time in the Red System. Uh, you know, they just um, for whatever reason. You know, you, you go back, you look at that series they played against the Mariners and that. They just, they looked, <laughs> they just look, they look like a different team. They, there's, there's just a difference in the way they go about the business compared, their business compared to what we saw earlier in the year. There is, there's just, I, it, mm. it, it, it's hard to explain. Um, and even, you know, the people who've, who've looked into it. Is that it. the players or the manager? At this case, at, well, at this point, but here's the thing. 
at this point doesn't matter. It's going well. Why upset that? Whatever we may think of. Well, it doesn't sound like he's coming back this year. Well, he might. Does it sound that way? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. That's a, that's a. I mean, I and I don't think there's any way if you leave the doctor. I don't think there's any way you can bring Tony Larusa back. Oh, you certainly think because it's got it. You're you're you've gone from being an afterthought to having a chance of winning the division. And we've sure. said once you win a division, you know, I'll tell you this: they're pitching. If they win the division, they can be a factor. You're going to run Dylan Cease out the first game of the series. White that might Sox, be one. White win. Sox Jays. Who you like better? I still like the Jays better. Because if they win the division, I still like the Jays better. The White Sox, to me, are still, they still have that one issue they've always had, right? They can they, they just can't get out of their way. They just can't get out of their way. But they're like most teams. 2022, they got to pitch well. They got to have a good bullpen. They, they got to play catch decent defense. They got to hit homers. Yeah. But uh, anyhow, it will be certainly an interesting storyline to follow. And uh, because one of those teams, Minnesota, Cleveland, or Chicago, I think Minnesota, you can, you can stick that. Yeah, I don't get the sense. That's, I, I think the question is, do the Guardians have a finishing kick in them? If the Guardians have a finishing mm-hmm. kick in them, then I think they win the division. This this may be one of those things where, for all their issues, the White Sox have been there before, right? They have been there before, and that maybe this may be one of those one of those times where experience pays off. But I'd like to see the Guardians get in because I like I like the way they play, mm. and as I said, I'd love to see the Guardians. Uh, I'd love to see the Guardians and Jays, frankly. I think that might be the best matchup for Jays. Potential postseason matchup for the Jays right now is Guardians or White Sox. I don't know about Minnesota because Minnesota's just kind of funky. And that series they played sure. against, that series they played against Toronto, just, it was an uncomfortable series. I do think it comes down to the last week. How can you set your pitching up? Yeah. And can the Blue Jays do something with the blueprint that the Guardians have against them with that slider away, fastball away? Uh, John Schneider is manager of the Toronto Blue Jays. He will join us in a few minutes. We've got Barker's back leg bits to end the show. The question we asked, your choice for the Blue Jays MVP right now. A lot of folks weighing in with Ross Stripling. Um, We'll get to those answers. And John Schneider, when we return, it's Blair and Barker on Sportsnet 590, the fan 360, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. Great daily gambling advice from J.D., Blake, and Ailish in the Fan Morning Show's Wake and Rake. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, we asked the question for Barker's Back Lake Bits. Who is the MVP of the Blue Jays so far this year? Lots of Ross Stripling love out there. No bows. Not yet. I asked, Manoa. well, our producer, Mark Boffo, said, but Mark or was it Lance? One of the two. Pick one. Might have been Jen that asked, uh, mm-hmm. let's narrow it down a bit. Position player, everyday player MVP. His end gets hard. And I went with Matt Chapman. I don't, I, don't, I don't think there's an answer. I'm I'm not certain there is either. That's the best answer I could come up with because, as I said, who is the guy that when he's out of the lineup, nothing seems to work? The answer is George Springer. Theoretically, that should make George Springer MVP. What if you took Manoa out of the rotation? 
<sighs> what would the rotation be and where would the Blue Jays be? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. What if you took Bo out of the lineup and not playing shortstop every day? Would you be all right? I don't know. That's a hard question. How about uh, Jordan Romano? He's no longer closing. That's a hard question. That's how you go about it. Can you do without that person and still win games? That's a really hard question. I, I, I don't. I honestly, I don't. I don't even know if we have. Uh, I don't even know if we have an answer yet. Yet, twenty-three games left. We you don't mean, have it yet. Let's see what happens in the next twenty-three games. Hmm. Things can change. One thing we do have, though, is the manager of the Toronto Blue yes. Jays, John Schneider, joining us on the line. John, thanks so much for joining Kevo and my. I'm going to call him Kevo. <laughs> Kevo and myself. He this, bought me a rake and gave a, it to me on radio. And now he's calling me all these names. I Kevo bought him a rake as a housewarming Kevy gift. And, it's great. Hi, guys. Good to, good to hear from you. Yeah. You I figured it's the only way Barker ever raked was with a rake. Oh, jeez. So. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I shouldn't really go there. Thanks for joining us, John. I'll move on. Uh, an eight and, eight and two road trip. Uh, you've got your starting pitching lined up. I, I would suggest probably ideally. All things considered, um, what was the mood like on the the flight back from from Texas last night? Uh, it was good. I, I think guys were a little tired, but um, you know the mood was good. I think that they all recognized the, the kind of road trip that we did have, and um, just really looking forward to another big series. So it's um, every game is going to be important going down the stretch, but. Um, The guys were in a good mood after a really good road trip, for sure. Before we jump into a bunch of stuff about your team, I got to ask. You know, I haven't seen you getting being thrown out in a while. I've seen you do that on TV at the minor league level. I have to ask: Have you ever practiced that in front of a mirror and said, (laughs) "If I, if this guy says this to me, I'm going to say that back to him"? Have you ever practiced that? Because it seems like you're pretty good at it. Thank you. Um, But no, no, never practiced. you kind of have a few thoughts in your head and you kind of forget what comes out in the heat of the moment until you get reminded um, via a letter from MLB. So um, definitely do not practice it. You, But, you know, it's, it's funny. Watching the game yesterday, <clears throat> and Rob Drake, had I described it as a creative strike zone. Awful. And, I know, uh, I said it. And, and, yeah, yeah. And, and, you you know, you, a, a couple of instances, Bo and, and Matt Chapman clearly were upset. But I was intrigued because... I think it was after Bo's first, the first at bat where Bo was upset. You went out and talked to Rob, and the cameras caught it. And both Dan and Pat said, "We can't be questioning balls and strikes because theoretically, questioning balls and strikes is going to get you is going to get you tossed." Uh-huh. Um, how do you go about addressing what needs to be addressed without addressing balls and strikes? There was that just you kind of I got it. Yeah, I want to make sure that there's no lingering. Nothing's carrying over to the next time Bo comes up to the plate. Was that was that the main focus? Yeah, you kind of have to do it a little bit delicately. You know, Bo very very rarely says anything to an umpire about about balls and strikes. Um, you can see him shake his head a few times. He's usually right <laughs> if he just the call. But I actually went out to Rob and said, um, "Hey, what, I just want to know what Bo was saying because he very rarely says anything and." He um, he kind of told me the conversation, and I said, okay, great. I said, I get it, and um, we kind of went on from there. It wasn't questioning. He was actually up front about some guys saying, hey, man, it's a little bit, little bit too far in. Um, 
but he was he was telling me those were good pitches. Um, so I said it's, it's going to be a tough day for us because we're trying to get Perez out over the plate. Um, so just stay with us here, and you know that's about as far as I can go in terms of balls and strikes. So it was uh, I was I was for the outcome not being what we wanted. I was very pleased with the way the guys reacted. Um, you can't control that kind of stuff. And, um, you know, I think it's just a sign of a good team sticking to their approach. But it was uh, – I think creative was a nice way to put it, um, Jeff. And I think Jonah Heim um, – I said it yesterday, got a big high five from catching coach Bobby Wilson over in Texas after the game. Mm-hmm. So when I knew you were coming on, I was trying to figure out my Vladdy question because every time you come on, I, we, you know, obviously we have to have one. And I didn't want to ask you what you were seeing, why he's rolling over ground balls to third and short. Uh, you know, I didn't want to ask you whether you thought he was having a good season, but I do want to ask you this. But I, you just did. No, no, I don't okay. want you to answer that because that's not fair. Right. But I but I do because you're behind closed doors with him all the time. Is there an obvious thing when the season's over offensively for Vladdy that you think he knows right away when the season's over right away, he knows exactly what he needs to work on to be the next version of Vladdy that everybody wants Vladdy to look like? Great question, and I think that he'll have that figured out. Um, he kind of—it's it's a never-ending process, right? He's working sure. through it right now during the season before the season's even over. So it's not going to be like, okay, season over, whenever that is. I'm going to—I'm going to go and and try to make something a little bit better or change something. He's constantly trying to tweak it every day, like a lot of guys are. But it's—I um, think Vladdy's really close. I guess is the best way I could answer it. Vladdy hit the ball extremely hard this past road trip. Um, some on the ground, some in the air, and it's. Uh, I think Vladdy is really close, and if you get him and Bo clicking at the same time, um, that's pretty damn dangerous at the top of the order. So, um, Vladdy's close. There are a few little cues that he's working on um, that kind of stay in the clubhouse and batting cage, oh. but um, yeah, he's he's really really close. Oh, I was going to ask you what what would tell you he's close, and then you just ruined it and said it stays in the clubhouse. <laughs> I can't, I can't ask you that. I, the, the hitting the ball hard is a big deal for him, right? That would tell you that what you're doing off the field is at least translating to on the field, and that's mm-hmm. confidence thing. Because Bo, when Bo talks about how good he's been now. It's not mechanics. It's not what he's swinging at because he swings at everything. It's more about I I'm in a happy place between the ears. And mm-hmm. I think maybe without you saying it, that's probably where Vladdy is close. Hmm? Yeah, I think that. And I actually think it's some other things uh, that happen in the batter's box, you know. Um, sure. So when those two things click, and like I said, I think it's really coming, um, that'll be a really good thing for us. Okay, good. H- has yeah. Bo, uh, John, has Bo been a, different, been a different guy in the past 10 days or so with the results? coming the way they have because we just had Ken Rosenthal on. He did a piece with him. He talked to Bo. We talked to Bo. Uh, he's clearly, as, as you said, this is the best best version of Bo you've seen. Is is he happier now? It's fine. I mean, I think he's a little bit more freed up in terms of going out and being okay with whatever the result is. Um, his demeanor very rarely changes. It, it, he is a little bit more you know, um, active in the dugout, I think, in games, um, which is great. You know, guys like talking to him and bouncing ideas off him. Um, his demeanor is pretty, is really pretty consistent throughout mm-hmm. the course of the season um, in the clubhouse. And I think it's kind of more the same now. But, 
the results have just been um, otherworldly over the last road trip with what he's doing. So um, it would be nice every once in a while. I think everyone's waiting for a big smile or something, but it's kind of, it's, um, it's very, uh, it's very unique that he can keep that same demeanor, um, good, bad, or different. You've seen Bo more than anybody. How much has that two strike approach sort of been his security blanket? You can go to yeah, it right. anytime with two strikes. Yeah. I think when he's really good is what he, that's what he's doing. You know, obviously he's, doing what he's doing, but the two-strike approach is allowing him to have confidence before he gets there. So he's been really, really good in terms of um, swinging and missing and, and chasing and things like that and limiting those things. Um, and I think having confidence in his two-strike approach. And it's something everyone has kind of seen it this year. He's been back and forth with it, doing it, and not, or the, the wider stance sometimes and then not other times with two strikes. And I think he's just really locked in and committed to it, and the results are there. John, how, uh, without giving away state secrets here, how will you manage this week, these games coming up without Lourdes Gurriel, who, you know, the power numbers haven't been there this year, but at times he's been your most consistent hitter. And those long arms and his ability to get plate coverage, he's kind of a bit of an outlier in your lineup. How how are you going to manage that absence? Um, kind of one day at a time, you know, and maybe a few innings at a time. It's, uh, you know, guys like Tapia, Biggio, Witt, Jackie, Zimmer, they all kind of add a, a different look in terms of what an outfielder can provide, um, whether it's offense, defense, bases, what have you. I think Tapia has stepped up and done a really nice job with the opportunity that's come, come about. Um, it is a creative way to get Kevin and Witt in the outfield um, to start games like we did a couple times uh, yesterday and the day before and adjust if we need to. So we'll go, um, you know, basically game by game with it. And performance is definitely a big part of it. Matchups are definitely a big part of it. But I think we're fortunate enough to have the depth that we do um, on our major league roster to kind of absorb the loss of Lourdes a little bit. Now you've gotten a full season of Kirky behind the plate and in the middle of the order. Something you've learned about him that you didn't know beginning of the season. (laughs) Um, How consistent his approach is and how he doesn't let a game or two frustrate him when the results are not there. Mm -hmm. Um, For a young kid um, being asked to man a pitching staff, hit in the middle of the order, and be consistent on a team with playoff aspirations is not easy to do. And his demeanor um, continues to impress me every day. John, we're going to let you uh, scoot. Go get him. Yeah, good luck. Go get him this week, and we'll see you out at the ballpark. All right, guys. Thanks. I appreciate it. See you later. John Schneider, manager of the Toronto Blue Jays. First of uh, five games against the Rays goes tonight, 707 on Sportsnet 590, the fan at Sportsnet. Jose Berrios on the mound. Cooper Criswell. Trying to channel my inner Morosi mm. for Criswell on the mound for Tampa Bay. Tomorrow, Alec Manoa and Mitch White. Um, Stripling Gossman. It's, it's lined up. It's lined up the way the Jays. All things considered, this mm. is the way you'd want this, this it was. lined up. I, I, I tried to get him to say what the off-the-field stuff mm. with Vladdy was. I was well, trying hard. Good for him for not telling us. But I do think it's a mental grind for Vladdy to, you know, we talk about Bo when you could hear Ken talk about how the pressure was on Bo to do special things from basically game one of spring training all the way till game whatever that was when they won the World Series carrying a trophy across the field. I think the same applies to Vladdy. He's trying to get through that. He just, he's never been through it before. So, so there's, a, I can't imagine that. 
And I think sometimes we need to take a step back and give the kid a little bit of a break. But, man, 23 games left. You can hear it in John's voice. Hopefully he finds it. The uh, This is the time of the show where we solicit questions from you, our listeners, or our viewers for Kevin Barker, Barker's Back Leg Bits. And uh, before I get into it, I want to give a shout-out to the Tates in the U.K., Blue Jays season's ticket holders who live in the U.K. They're great people. Re- we met them at a game. Mm-hmm. They're a lot of fun, real good folks. They're, they're, uh, well, they they fly back <laughs> to see the Jays games. It's great. Can't put it any other way. And I know they listen to the show on the podcast. Cheryl claims that the uh, she listens to the show when she wakes up, which is it's good. Your as voice to, that wakes her up. No, as opposed to putting people to sleep, it's good that we it's good that we <laughs> wake them up. But anyhow, I want to give a special shout out. To the Tates. This is a question from Brantford Gal, and thank you very much uh, for the kind words. Uh, question for Kevin or yourself. We'll make it for Kevin. This gets to Vladdy. Why is it that people seem to think that Vladdy is untouchable when it comes to discipline? Other people get moved down when they're not doing so well, yet he stays in the number two spot when he grounds out every single time. Uh, he's I'm gonna, up at bat. And uh, the reason I asked that, Brantford Gal, was I think John question. John Schneider just he kind of answered it for us because. They think, Kevin, they think Flatty's close. Yeah, I guess. You know, I, I guess that's the right answer. I'm going to ask you the same question that I asked you the last time you asked me that question. And I will say <laughs> this. I will, I, I will ask it in this way. If you can sit, look right at my face and tell me that Vladdy is still not the best hitter that the I Blue Jays have. I can't do that. I, then that's yeah. why that's your answer. That's why you're leaving him in the two hole. You're leaving him there because he's the one guy that could go four for four with four homers. Plain and simple. He's not done it consistently, but he's the one guy. No, I'm with you. I, he's the one guy that you. can do that. I know the the what Bo's been doing here lately, but Vladdy is the one guy that if just can for whatever he's trying to channel, whatever that is. He's the one guy in this lineup. And for me, you'd have to have a better option. What's your better option? So you're moving him to the two-hole, to the seven-hole? There's six other guys that are better hitters than Vladdy? I just don't think you can do that. Cal Stevens. Uh, That's a heard, good question, though. Yeah, it is. Cal it Stevens is. heard our interview with Ken Rosenthal. I don't think you guys quite understand fan sentiment. People were frustrated at Bo because he takes hacks that are so far out of the zone comes across like he thinks he's bigger than the game. He played with a big ego. Setting those meteoric standards comes from a big ego. This game has humbled him as it humbles everyone who comes in with that kind of attitude. He's more controlled now. He's got his two-strike approach back. I think they're come, and I think fans are coming around because he's starting to take a team-first approach. I, I have to tell you this. I was a little surprised. I didn't detect. Team-first is strong. Yeah, I didn't detect. Mm. Uh, maybe I, yeah, maybe I'm. Maybe I'm wrong. I thought, I thought with Bo, it was fans. Fans really want this team to be successful. No question. And fans have heard that this team expects to be successful. And I think for that reason, it's almost the expectations that the fans may be booing. I still believe this. I still believe most fans, with the exception of a place like New York, most fans boo the moment. You know, I used, to, <clears throat> I used to always have this discussion. And my friend Mitch Melnick in Montreal used to talk about this. Because I'd always write in my stories, you know, well, so-and-so, you know, the fans booed Spike Owen, pick a blue, uh, an Expos player or whatever. And he go, yeah, but are they booing him or are they booing the moment? 
you know, the fans in these markets develop an intense dislike of a player or do they just boo the moments? And I think, I think that may be it more than anything else. But look, I think with Bo, um, you know, you can't, I don't think you can be surprised at Bo's approach because that's kind of the way. It's the same approach today Bo that he is. had three weeks ago. Just hitting the ball hard now. Yeah. Why Why is he hitting the ball hard? I Sometimes I, I think there's things that you can't explain, and that might be one of them. For me, anyway, I think Bo's learning how to be a big leaguer as a big leaguer. I think that's a uh, – and I know people are going to roll their eyes and say, well, but think about it. Um, development is not a linear thing. I will be – Julio Rodriguez is having a great year. I'll be fascinated to see what he does next year. If you're learning how to yeah. do a new job and you want to learn that sort of behind closed doors, Bo's not. Lots of uh, people weighing in in the MVP boats. Niall in England, Manoa, you can always feel confident behind him in the mound. Mm -hmm. And then he one. said, however, having such a reliable number four in Stripling can't go unnoticed. I'm just counting down here. I'm just going to go... Romano and Chapman, Manoa, uh, Manoa, Stripling, 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 Manoa, Stripling. Okay. Stripling. We see where we're going here. A couple – now, this is – yes, and, and and most people for Stripling are, are saying this. The, you know what? saying the same thing. Whenever I hear you say that, you know why I think they have, they're not winning the American League East or in the first wild card? Because you didn't say Springer. You didn't say Vladdy. Mm -hmm. You didn't say Bo. Bichette. Yep. You didn't say Teoscar. Like you needed one of those four to be your MVP. You're talking Vladdy 50 and 140 and 330. That's how you win the American League East and you win the World Series. That's why every single one of these games, when me and Jeff come on after the game and say, why are you doing a a a bullpen game when the games that you should be winning, you have to win because none of the names you just mentioned were George Springer, Vladdy, Bobachette, Jaron Bag Oscar, and yeah, Jaron Bragg Creek says Stripling's the Jays MVP for me. We've seen the fifth starter spot is now basically a scheduled loss. Can you imagine the trouble the Jays would be in? It's a great if point. This fourth spot was that too. No question. By the way, Ross Stripling kind of hit a kind of hit a cool milestone this weekend. 100 major league starts, 100 relief appearances. Be kind of cool. Yeah, it's that's he's that's, that's he's done. Cool. I took a lot of notes on him. Sure did. I it's a look. I, I we talk about Bo learning on the fly. That he's the guy for me who tried to reinvent himself to make money in Buffalo. Do I need to say more? You try that. Be a threat and throw 91 in Buffalo. Good luck. <laughs> Go get him, big yeah. fella. And now you're seeing what he can do, the kitchen sink and the, the change-ups of weapon and the two-seamer that he's added to righties, uh, the location of the fastball. He's not tipping pitches anymore. He has a repeatable uh, mechanics that he can obviously do the things. He's throwing more strike ones. Uh, what, the average strike one is 61%. He's throwing it about 69%. That allows him to be unpredictable from pitches after that. He's more efficient, allows him to go deeper in games. 
This is doing it in the American League East. This is interesting. We, when, when you ask people position player MVP, almost everybody's saying Chapman. Again, it gets back to that point where we it, said that. It's the, right. I think you said it at the beginning of the year. Oh, I know when you said it. It was when Kirky was going through that thing where Kirky was just living in a tree <laughs> offensively, yeah, he, doing special things. And you said, man, this can't go on all season because Vladdy has to be an MVP for this team to go yeah. where they want to go. It just goes to show you that, you know, you you need your superstar to be your superstar for the end result, which is the World Series. It's not creeping into the playoffs. It's not winning a round and, you know, getting beat in five games. It's going to the World Series. And for me, I'm going to stick with that. Vladdy, the next 23 games, has to be the MVP of the team. How's that? I think that's fair. It's probably not fair to Vladdy, but... Would you love to know what the... I tried, didn't Would I? you love to know what the... What do you think it is? What do you think the, uh, the checkpoints? Uh, put your put your your hitting your hitting cap on. What do you think the checkpoints would be? I think there's things with Vladdy that we don't know. That health wise, I, no, I don't think it's health. Well, I don't know if it's health or not. I just think you, the one thing that I see, he's trying to create back speed, which when you do that, and then you tend to chase more. Because the only thing you're thinking about is I have to get it going for me to get the barrel out in front of the plate for the ball to go where it wants to go. So I think it's more than that than other things. We're going out to the park today. Maybe we'll find out. They're not going to tell you. I wouldn't. Well, they didn't tell me, so they're not going to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for that. Well, you're welcome. Listen, uh, by now, uh, those of you who are frequent listeners or viewers, <clears throat> not just of this show, but of this station, uh, you doubtless know that Stephen Brunt told listeners on Friday that he's left Sportsnet. And uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't say a few words about a person I've shared this studio with for years in various iterations of this show or that show or whatever the show was called, uh, either as a host, a co-host, or a guest. Um, I'm not going to speak in the past tense because Stephen has made clear he's not retiring, which is good for those of us who are fans of quality journalism because he's one of the few truly national voices, be it sports or otherwise, we have in this country. And he's a, he's a rare broadcaster and journalist who can bring humor, insight, gravitas, whatever, to any situation depending on what's required. Uh, he's somebody who's at home talking about any sport in any season in any part of the country. And uh, we did some good stuff together on the station, I thought, doing three hours of Gord Downey, the morning he passed away, uh, the 2015 Blue Jays race, and through our COVID lockdown days, which was uh, someday I'll write a book on what it's like to do a sports talk show for three months when there's no sports. Um, it was a privilege to share time with someone who understood the significance of the platform, of his platform, and the weight his words carried without letting his ego get in the way. On a personal level, he's frankly a big reason I've worked where I've worked and indeed still work. Frankly, he's the reason I live in Hamilton. So uh, more than a mentor, he's been a singular influence on how I think about sports and how I think about sports men and sports women. And, you know, I've been lucky. I was thinking about this driving in today. I've worked with a pair of major leaguers, right? I've worked with a pair of major leaguers like Stephen Brunt and Kevin Barker. Major league in their respective field, major league as people and friends. So honestly, I'm not certain a fella deserves as much luck 
as I've had in this job. So, Stephen, thanks for everything. Go get them. And the Toronto Blue Jays, you go get them too. Go get those rays. Have a good day. Talk to you tomorrow.